Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up with Spencer Cole today, EVP for North America for Vox Royalty. These guys are our number one pick from Royalty Week. And as a consequence, we have invested into them. We talked today um, about share price movement. We took a look at their Q1, uh, their record uh, Q1 revenue. Uh, we also look at their asset uh, handbook, which they're looking to put out uh, in the next couple of months or so, and ways that royalty and streaming companies can make it easier for retail investors, and I guess some brokers and analysts, to work out what it is that the companies um, have got and how to value them properly. Um, if you want our thoughts and opinions on this conversation, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. We've got commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. Uh, plus, we've got training courses on there. We've done summaries of all the interviews that we've done just to save you some time because we know you're busy people. Uh, but most excitingly of all, we've got a wonderful community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from all that judgment, trolling and abuse you see elsewhere. There's a bit of a wait list, uh, but it's well worth it uh, if you get in there. So you can join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Spencer, how are you, sir? Very well, thanks, Matt. Yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. How's life over there, Toronto? All good? Yep, we're, we're surviving. Uh, the vaccine doses are slowly but surely starting to roll out. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Well, oh, sorry, oh, some other good news uh, that I've seen today. Record revenues from Vox Royalty. Do you want to tell us all about it? Absolutely. So, yeah, we're very excited this week to announce uh, record uh, Q1 quarterly revenues of uh, 669,000 Canadian. Um, and this is you know, enormously uh, exciting for us because you know, we've been we've been guiding investors for some time towards the fact that we're right on the cusp of of sort of exponential revenue growth, um, just based on the fact that we've been acquiring some really attractive uh, pre-production royalties. So, yeah, we're very excited to about this uh, to release this news to the market, Matt. Were you kind of expecting it this year? Because I mean, if I look at brokers' reports, so look at the, what, what we've done. I say, you know, there's an expectation that's really kind of kicks off in, in 2022. Um, so, is this you're getting ahead of yourself? Uh, is this something that you expected? No, I mean, we previously provided a revenue guidance for this year of 1.7 to 2.5 million Canadian. And, you know, this quarterly result is in, in line with that previous guidance. So we, we fully expected um, uh, this this range of, of revenue um, for, for this calendar year. Um, I think importantly, you know, we, we started the year, um, or we went public rather, um, May of last year with only one producing asset and we're on track to finish this year with seven producing assets. That's without any further acquisitions. So um, I think this is really just a natural, uh, a natural, um, you know, maturing of, of the royalty portfolio. So yeah, we, we fully expected this this evolution. Okay, well, well let's let's just talk about this because there's there's two aspects to um, to what you what you're up to here. The one is the LOIs, which I want to pick up on. We you, we discussed them last time you were on the show. Um, but sticking with current royalties, um, talk to me about Curly Nobbing because you have decided to extinguish the prepayment there. There's about 1.7 million bucks, if I'm not mistaken. Why did you do that? Sure. So the history there for, for, for viewers who aren't familiar with it, we acquired the Cooley Nobbing producing iron ore royalty from a telecommunications company. 
And historically, uh, the predecessor company to that had actually been prepaid um, a balance of $3 million on that iron ore royalty. So at the end of March this year, um, we opportunistically um, elected to, to um, pay back or settle um, the outstanding ba- um, prepayment balance on that royalty, which is about $1.7 million. Um, and you know, we we made that decision to to for a few for a few key reasons. Firstly, you know, iron ore prices, particularly in Aussie dollar terms, are at record levels. So we thought, you know, now now is the right time to capture that cash flow. Um, secondly, you know, based on satellite imagery and and feedback from the operator, um, the seven billion dollar um, mineral resources um, ASX listed company, um, we could see that that. that production on the royalty uh, claims was likely to be ex- expanded um, because they were commissioning a new deposit that was fully royalty linked called Altair. Um, so I think those were two of the key reasons that we wanted to bring forward that cash flow. Um, and I think the third reason was, Matt, um, cooling knobbing has been producing for some time, but because of this prepayment, we haven't been seeing the benefit of that cash flow. So, you know, I think in terms of our, our multiple and where we trade, uh, you know, on the TSX venture, um, you know, we haven't been getting the benefit of, of the multiple arbitrage or re-rates um, based on that cash flow. Um, so I think part of it was, and this is being candid, part of it was, you know, we want to be trading at a premium multiple and, and the way one of the levers to do that is to be able to demonstrate cash flow generation. Um, so there was obviously a small cost of capital um, requirement to, to bring that, uh, that to settle that prepayment. But, you know, we're very confident now having these Q1 revenues out that, you know, that was the absolutely the right decision to bring that cash flow forward um, for our shareholders. How much did it cost you? I think, you know, when we look, when we project ahead on how the, the prepayment would have been extinguished, it was probably about $75,000. So it wasn't cost, a cost neutral, but certainly when we look at the incremental revenue, it's unlocked, you know, to the bottom line, um, you know, for the multiple re-rate that we see coming from, from that incremental cash flow, you know, we're very confident that that was the right investment decision. Okay. And when you talk about this, the, the, the re-rate, again, just for people to understand what, what it is that you're trying to achieve, like re- revenue, what, 668,000 Q1 great you know what are you targeting you said 1.7 to 2.5 this year um what's your market cap today uh it's about 90 odd million right okay so so with royalties i mean what was what's the game played here in the market in terms of re-rate what does that mean for you how, how do you go about affecting that yeah so i think um you know, you can value and you can value royalty companies based on you know a number of different conventional metrics. Um, you know, there has been this uh, quite a, a key focus on on cash flow generation um, in the industry for the past few years, um, and you know we're certainly no exception to that. Um, I think one one challenge that we've had uh, in terms of educating the market to to our portfolio is that for some time we've said that. Um, we've been deliberately buying royalties that are immediately pre-production. So call it three to 18 months out from first production. So the positive is we're able to continue to find royalties at fantastic prices that, um, at, you know, in that sort of pre-production bracket. The downside is obviously it means that from a revenue perspective, you know, where, you know, last year we were pretty much pre-revenue. So, 
going back to your question, what does that sort of uh, arbitrage or multiple re-rate look like? You know, I think there's a base level of revenue and cash flow that investors expect um, and we're delivering that this year. And then next year and the following year, you know, we expect to have, you know, significant growth on top of that revenue. Um, but, you know, being a pre-revenue royalty company, I think it, it, it's fair to say it attracts a, a discount in the market. So we're not, a, we're not the type of company to be about, you know, playing multiple arbitrage. Um, but the reality is investors expect a certain amount of cash flow and, and cooling knobbing, you know, helpfully adds that uh, a key part of that cash flow. Right. So it made, it made sense. 75 grand, that was, as far as you're concerned, money well spent on that basis. From where we're sitting, absolutely. And, and from the technical data that we're looking at on cooling knobbing, you know, we're very confident that that was the right investment to make. I'm kind of interested in the timing as well, because obviously I know you've been around in, in a private form for a number of years, but you know, you've gone public last year um, or recent, you know, relatively recently compared to, compared to some. Um, was this a kind of marketing exercise? You wanted people to register the fact that you are revenue flowing, that you, you are doing what you said. Is that, is that part of the, the mix here? What was the, what was the trade-off? Yeah, I, th- I think it was well, twofold, Matt. One was the, the technical aspects. So, you know, these record iron ore prices, most analysts would agree, are not going to be here forever. Um, and capturing that that price window plus, you know, where we could see, um, you know, the production was going to be increased on the royalty tenure. I guess that's a more technically driven um, decision that, you know, now is the time to capture that, that immediate sort of, uh, that that revenue um, potential, and then the, the 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 less fundamental aspect or more market based um, you know relative valuation aspect was as you said it was you know how do we um, how do we how do we work towards Vox trading at a premium multiple, um, and one key part of that is demonstrating cash flow and revenue generation, um, which. Frankly, you know, we've been discounted um, for that very reason, and cooling knobbing was a key part of, of sort of you know removing that valuation discount. Okay, and the reason I'm asking is because when we've done our sort of analysis and sort of looked and spoken to lots of the royalty and streaming companies in the space, a big big part of what big part of the game it seems for some companies is more about the promote than the fundamentals. And I'm just wondering, are you veering to that style of? Of company, you know, do you recognize or do you believe that? No. Well, no. go for it. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's a good question, Matt, because you know we at our the core of our DNA is is you know prudent capital allocation. So to be absolutely clear to, to listeners, so our total net um, cost for this royalty is still about three point five million Aussie. Um, the royalty is generating approximately about a million dollars a year. So. You know, when you look at it on a return on equity basis, internal rate of return basis, you know, the, the cooling of iron ore royalty is still an incredible investment for all of our shareholders, even with the the, the, the prepayment settlement that we, that we mentioned before. So this is certainly not Vox, um, you know, changing its strategy or, or moving away from being prudent allocators of capital. Um, this net, the, the, this investment is still, you know, one of the, the best investments in our portfolio. So nothing's changed from that perspective. And, you know, every, every time we allocate capital, whether it's to a new royalty acquisition, to something like a prepayment settlement, or even, you know, our recent buyback activities, um, it's always through the lens of shareholder value. How can we unlock the, the, the greatest alpha for shareholders? 
And, you know, when we're trading at a discount to our peers, you know, we're trading at a, a price to NAB of 0 0.7, 0 0.8 times. And, you know, the rest of our peer group is trading at closer to 1.5 to two times. Um, you know, that is the greatest lever that we have to try and unlock value for our shareholders is, is really focusing on what, what creates that premium multiple in the market. Okay. So you've got, by the end of this year, seven paying royalties. You've got, what, 50 royalties in total, about 30 of those are expiration. So what can we expect next year? I know, so if you're, again, looking at broker's notes, people suggesting that you you beat 6 million next year. Is that is that in line with what you, you were talking about internally? Yeah, so we, we haven't provided formal uh, guidance to the street for 2022 as yet. Um, as you mentioned, uh, brokers have us going from about 2 million this year to 6 million next year and then I think towards $8 million the following year in, in top line revenue. Um, in terms of what investors can continue to expect uh, from Vox um, based on our existing portfolio of 50 royalties. Um, so I'll break it down into three, three buckets. You touched on the production stage assets. So organic growth from what was one producing asset when we went public last year to seven by the end of this year. Um, and then from a development perspective, uh, we've got a number of key assets that are that are ex approaching a construction decision, um, such as Lynn Lake um, Alamos is guiding towards um, a construction decision on that asset. You know, it, within the next uh, basically within the next twelve months, um, our Bowden Silver asset, which is the largest undeveloped silver project in all of Australia, um, that's they've just applied for their mining lease, um, so that's moving towards a, a final construction decision. Um, and then, you know, we have a number of other assets such as Sulphur Springs, copper and zinc asset um, that they're, they're, you know, doing early, early construction works. So from a development perspective, we've got a number of key assets that will add, you know, in the multiple millions of, of dollars of annual, re annual revenue um, that are approaching um, construction decisions. Um, and then from an exploration perspective, um, we're continuing to have about 120, 130,000 metres worth of partner-funded drilling on our exploration properties each year. So just a huge volume of, of monthly news flow through the drill bit um, where our, our operating partners are, you know, are aggressively drilling those properties out. Um, and I think the, the, the extra surprise on the upside for investors is in that, um, in that bucket of about 30 exploration royalties, um, Brokers typically don't really go into a huge amount of detail there in valuing those assets, which is totally fair enough. I mean, even valuing 20 advanced royalties is, uh, you know, uh, brain damage enough, frankly. But those those 30 expiration royalties, there's a number of those that are aggressively being moved forward towards production, such as, you know, our Mount Moss royalty that we acquired last year that is a historical producing mine in Queensland. Um, the new operators guided towards bringing that back into production um, this half. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see how that progresses. Um, we've got a, an exciting vanadium discovery in Brazil, Piton Beiris. They've just announced their, their PEA and that they're planning to be into to move into trial mining uh, Q1 of next year. So within that exploration bucket, um, brokers don't typically value it more than just book value. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of surprises on the upside there for shareholders that, you know, point to, to revenue generation um, far in excess of what we paid for those royalties, you know, as soon as, you know, end of this year, early next year. What I found interesting, 
looking at the royalty space was the, the way that companies present the information. And it may be difficult, but it'd be really useful for, you know, regular Joe, regular investors like us to be able to look at the performance of each each royalty. So for instance, you're seven, okay, at the end of this year, seven paying royalties. But, you know, what's your expectation on how long those payments will go on for? Do they ramp up? Do they ramp down? What's that, what's that cash flow profile look like? That would be a nice industry norm to do. Uh, and yeah. do you know what I mean? Because it's you know you talked about you know multiples and, and so forth earlier, but they seem to be a very, sort of very casual attribution yeah. no, it, as to how that works. Yeah, it's look. I, I've got a lot of um, empathy for 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 investors in the royalty industry, um, Matt, because it's enormously sort of time and labor intensive to to value a royalty company. Um, and so obviously, you know, picking up broker reports is, is the, the, the surest way to, to do that in an accelerated timeframe. But um, even, you know, for us being you know, obsessive about the royalty industry, we, we're constantly um, benchmarking, you know, our own deals and then the deals of our competitors. But there is a fundamental disclosure gap where forecasting ahead exactly what the mine lives of each of these different royalties will be um, is, is, very, is very difficult. Um, so if I if I talk about our portfolio, for example, you know, um, Cooley Nobbing that we that, that we talked about just before that has about a seven year reserve life on it, um, inclusive of the full resource, um, that's closer to to fifteen years. Um, you know, and you know when I look at other royalties such as Higginsville, for example, um, you know we can point to based on the deposits that are currently being mined. You know that's probably a four or five year um, you know mine life that we can we can point to, but then there's some other uh, other resources that are that are royalty linked in the paleo channels. You know that could point towards you know closer to ten years, um, and you know our brown our asset is probably closer towards the sort of five year mark um, in in Brazil, and you know a number of our our sort of development stage royalties are north of ten years, so Bowden's. You know, is around about the you know twelve to fourteen year mark, um, and then we have you know a few other key development assets that are around about the 15, 16 year mark, such as the Montenor silver and copper asset in, in the USA. Um, so, but yeah, it's 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 really difficult, you know, for for outsiders looking into the industry to be able to say, okay, that is the exact IRR that I expect from that royalty investment. Because there's obviously a lot of inputs that go into it. No, and I understand that, but the company kind of gives guidance about the size of resource, life of mine, etc. There's some very crude numbers that could be applied, and maybe some very crude discounts that should also be applied as, as a result. But it's, as yeah. I say, it's, it's a difficult, even reading broker reports, because I don't think as much work goes into those, quite frankly, either, um, to be able to discern, you know, what is a company that's focused on, you know, cash revenues. Uh, and yeah. uh, trying to understand what that actually looks like going out, because again, some of the multiples seem a little bit yeah uh, well, optimistic. What, put it like that? Yeah, no, I fully agree with you. Like one thing we're working on in the background that you know I must admit is um, you know it's it's a big piece of work and it's something that will take a bit more time. Um, it's it's a, a piece of best practice that we see that the likes of Franco Nevada and even some of the intermediate groups like Mavericks have is um, an asset handbook. So an asset handbook being a key sort of, I guess, the, the Bible for that royalty company explaining their key royalty properties. Um, and 
you know, we're, we're working on that uh, uh, preparing that at the moment, um, you know, to try and sort of help investors get up to speed on our, on our royalties. Um, the, uh, the problematic part is where annoyingly we keep adding more royalties. So we keep creating more work for ourselves to add more pages to that asset handbook. But once that's completed, um, that will be quite an instructive document um, for our for our investors to be able to see. Okay, this is how much of that all body is covered by the royalty. This is what I can roughly, you know, should be roughly expecting in terms of life of mine for that royalty. That'd be, that'd be so, fantastic and well received, I'm sure. So yeah, um, and hard work. Um, that's what you've got on the books now. Let's talk about some of the things we talked about last time. Was these LOIs? Your ten LOIs. Now LOIs are just that, right? They there's optionality on your side. There's diligence uh, as well to be done. And so, how many of those ten LOIs have actually gone anywhere? How do, how in fact? No, what, how do they kind of fall away? Because I guess you've got lots of projects on the go at any one time. Lots of LOIs at, at any one time. But you know, what, what's the sort of percentage return on that? You know, how how, how quickly do you get to the point of actually we don't want to do those? Uh, there's something here, but we can't agree terms, or someone else trumps you to it. I mean, how, how does it all break down? Yeah, so it's it's a good question. So um, you're absolutely right that. When we completed our financing, you know, we were talking um, to investors about ten uh, potential uh, deals that we had under uh, letters of intent. Um, so since since we last spoke, um, we've acquired uh, three separate royalties, um, uh, th- three gold royalties in Western Australia. Um, so that was the the, the producing Janet Ivy royalty, um, the pre production Otto Bohr royalty. Um, and the, the the very large um, sort of development stage buller bulling gold royalty. Um, so those are three those are three royalties that you know were part of those those 10, 10 royalty deals. Um, so in the, in the background, we've always been working on confirmatory due diligence to make sure that you know all the other letters of intent and the royalties that they cover um, you know are up to our internal um, investment thresholds and standards. So there have been some that, you know, based on confirmatory due diligence, we found some, some technical hairs that, you know, we didn't feel um, presented the right risk-adjusted returns for investors. So, you know, we, we won't be completing on 100% of those 10 LOIs. Um, and then somewhat frustratingly in, in, in the past month, we've actually had three royalties that have been, been snapped up away from us um, by operators under rights of first refusal. So... You know, in the past 12 months, I think we've lost about seven separate royalties um, to mining companies where, you know, we continue to price deals in favour uh, and, you know, we will never overpay for royalties. But the downside is when the royalty agreement has a right of first refusal, often where, you know, we find we're serving the royalty up on a silver platter, the mining company, and, you know, a lot of them are pretty well cashed up now. So, yeah, it's, it's been frustrating in the last month to lose three separate royalties to mining companies um, under ROFAs. Um, but, you know, that just is a testament to how we're pricing deals. So what can investors expect, you know, over the coming months? Um, there are a number of deals that we have under LOI that we previously foreshadowed during the financing that, we, you know, we fully expect to be announced um, in, in the coming months. Um, but you know, as we've always said, Matt, it's 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 not a volume game for us. It's it truly is a value game. So investors can feel confident that how we're allocating capital and the deals we'll be announcing over coming months, you know, meet very rigorous technical and financial hurdles 
um, such that you know the cash on cash returns that they'll be generating will be you know will be you know very attractive. Okay, and one question to leave you with, Spencer. I'm looking at the share price. You know, when we first started talking, it was around sort of three bucks. Uh, you, you announced the raise, and I think you know fair, fair enough reaction in, in the marketplace then, but. It really then took a pummeling thereafter. I mean, what on earth was going on? Yeah, no, absolutely, Matt. And look, as management, you know, we own fifteen percent of, of the company, and so you know, we're we're long term shareholders ourselves, obviously. So the reality is, we're we're not we're not happy with where the share price is at all today. Um, I think you know, coming through the financing, um, so there were a number of very large precious metal um, investment funds who wanted. The, you know the upside uh, of a warrant, um, and so you know to bring in some really fantastic long-term precious um, uh, investors, um, we we included a, a half warrant as part of our financing. Now the downside to that is you know that that warrant obviously attracted a certain type of um, shall we say shorter-term uh, hedge fund type investor, uh, and one fund in particular that um, participated in the raising. It's become painfully obvious that you know they were they're just interested in in you know, clipping the warrant, as they say. So they've been um, they've been selling out of their position that they they picked up during the financing. So we're very frustrated about that. Obviously, um, you know we see that as just a very much, very much a short term uh, a short term ab- you know, abnormality, um, and we believe they've traded out of the majority of that paper. So you know we remain frustrated by the share price, but. It, that's very much that's delinked from the fundamentals of our business, and so as cash flow continues to grow, as as you know our, our royalties continue to deliver surprises to the upside, you know the market will reflect that fundamental value, and we can't stay trading at 0.7 times price to NAV when the rest of the industry is trading at two times that um, for very long. Okay, that, that that makes a lot of sense. So, so but just two things off the back of that though is um, one. Do you go and raise money with warrants or half warrants next time out? Yeah, I mean, we to be honest, we we don't love including warrants as part of any financing. So, um, you know, we won't we won't include warrants unless we absolutely have to. So, and, and frankly, we we won't raise money. You know, we, we wouldn't even contemplate raising any money at, at these sorts of share prices. Um, obviously, so we're well financed today. We've got cash flow that's growing. Um, we're in a fantastic position in terms of our balance sheet. And, you know, we're not going to need to tap the market, um, you know, from an equity perspective. We are selectively speaking to some some groups about um, potential debt capacity um, that would only be used for the right type of royalty acquisitions. Um, but, you know, there's a number of non-dilutive ways that that we're looking at, at unlocking value for shareholders um, that, that that should be, should come to market in the next couple of months. But the short answer is, you know, we, we would prefer not to, to issue any further, further warrants in the future. Okay. No, we're glad you answered that. It was, it was, I was kind of getting towards the, you know, how do you go and raise non-dilutive capital going forward? You've answered that. So the, sec- the second component is the types of people at different stages of the company, you're just grateful for people wanting to invest in you. you you're waiting. You're not in control. I mean, how do you retain control going forward? Because you don't want those sorts of hedge fund guys playing games with your stock, so how do you fix that? Yeah, I think um, you know, going, going, moving forward, um, you know, we're continuing to sort of work with with our, our major investors to understand exactly their preferences and and you know uh, to make sure that our knowledge of our share register 
and you know our relationships with our, with our key investors are as strong as they can possibly be. Um, I think on you know projecting ahead, you know if and when we we do another capital raising, um, you know we'll be very careful about the types of funds that that we accept into into the book. Um, you know I think there's obviously some groups that the capital they're offering is just too expensive or has other tentacles attached to it. So. Um, you know, I think we'll be very careful about that, uh, you know, going forward that, you know, we, don't, we leave sort of hedge funds to one side and, and we focus on, on long-term shareholders who are, who are really aligned with, you know, the, the, the vision of what we're building. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've got your hands full um, there. I definitely want to hear from you whenever you close a couple more of these uh, transactions. Uh, I was impressed with both um, you and Kyle, you know, your description of the business you're trying to build there. Um, so yeah, stay in touch and uh, let us know how you get on, okay? Absolutely, Matt. Sounds great. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.